charlatans, communists and lesbians, and even old Pat Robertson, God, he loves us all. Just got some clarity on the lunch out. It's actually a lunch in. So after the service, downstairs in the gallery, if you're planning to go on the lunch out, go on the lunch out, but but in, okay? Uh, and right now, uh, let's pray. Father, um, we ask that in Jesus' name, you would help us to preach your word so that, Lord God, your word wouldn't be just like, Stuff I say, stuff we say, rising up in all of our hearts uh, together before your throne. And that preaching your word wouldn't just be information, Lord God, it would be worship of who you are. And the transformation of who we are into who we truly are, who we forever are. Lord God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to preach. Amen. In the Easter parade. Look at that one, huh? Half purple and half yellow with a chickadee sticker. I'm good. Uh, can I ask a question? Why do we do this? What, what do you mean, why do we do this? It's Easter. Right, so why do we color eggs? Well, so that the Easter bunny can hide them. Yeah, but why? Stanley, Easter celebrates the day that Jesus was resurrected after being crucified for our sins. So we dip eggs in colored vinegar and a giant rabbit hides them? That's right. <laughs> this is a time of year that we dip eggs in vinegar and a giant rabbit hides them and all the children ask, why? Why are we doing this? If not eggs and, and rabbits, uh, why did they kill Jesus? And who killed Jesus? Jesus. This week I ran into Barnes and Noble and picked up a copy of uh, Bill O'Reilly's book that came out in the fall, Killing Jesus. I've read some, some books from the left on this that made me kind of nauseous. I'd, I'd read Bill O'Reilly's uh, book. Um, you know, this was on the bestseller list all fall, sometime in the number one spot. O'Reilly's already published two other books, um, Killing Lincoln and Killing Kennedy, both bestsellers. Uh, both about the deaths of men whose uh, demise was surrounded by controversy and suspicion as to who really did it and why they did it. So I read Killing Jesus, hoping to get O'Reilly's take on who killed Jesus and, and why they killed Jesus. Maybe you remember a little bit of the hullabaloo about 10 years ago around the Passion of the Christ. 
Mel Gibson was ridiculed for being anti-Semitic, uh, for accusing the Jews of killing Jesus. Some pastors defended him, put up signs like this, uh, the Jews uh, killed the Lord Jesus. For thousands of years, Christians have used the idea to persecute Jews, ridicule Jews. Some, some now say, well, no, it wasn't the Jews, but the Romans, and that certainly seems to be the politically correct answer because, you know, there aren't any Romans around anymore. Nowadays, we call them Italians. Itali the Itali so, so anybody of Italian descent, like Lepri Leprino, is that Italian? For Joni, Andy, okay, go ahead and raise Italian. Okay, raise your hand if you're Italian descent. Okay, look at those people. Okay, what about Jewish descent? Anybody of Jewish descent? See, see we'd like to figure out who did this. Because it was like the worst crime in history, and we need to pin it on somebody. South Park is really a raunchy cartoon, so I don't know if you're a big fan, but I find it to be rather insightful. That's Kyle Brovlowski, a third grade Jewish boy who's friends with um, Stan Marsh, a third grade Christian boy, who was asking all those questions about Easter and the Easter Bunny. In this episode that, that you just watched, Stan and Kyle go to see Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, and Kyle is haunted by the idea that he killed Jesus. And and so who did kill Jesus and why? On a show recently, Bill O'Reilly said, do you know why Jesus was killed by the Romans? It was about taxes. And, and I suppose that there's kind of something to that because Jesus messed with the money stream in the temple. But it's very unclear as to how that involved the Romans. And Jesus taught his followers to pay taxes. Sorry about that. But he did. So it's a bit of a stretch to argue that Rome crucified Jesus over taxes. And yet it's clear that the Jewish establishment felt very threatened by Jesus. Jesus overturned the table of the money changers in the temple. He prophesied the destruction of the temple, which was the center of the economy in Jerusalem. So yeah, taxes, uh, insurrection. Technically, you know, you know, Jesus was handed over to Rome for crucifixion because he suggested that he was the Christ, the Son of God. That's why Caiaphas ripped his robes. The idea that Jesus was the Christ. And yet that's a bit confusing because uh, just a week before, the crowd seemed to be pretty excited about the idea that Jesus might be the Christ. But by the end of the week, they were upset because he seemed to be the wrong sort of Christ. They wanted a Christ to liberate them from the Romans, and Jesus talked about liberation from something else. So anyway, taxes, insurrection, blasphemy, uh, disobeying the religious leaders and all their rules. I mean, whoever killed the Christ, they seem to be kind of confused themselves about why they killed the Christ. It seems they're just deeply, deeply offended by the Christ. And so 
are like just looking for excuses to get rid of him. Well, at the very start of Christ's ministry, I think there's just a fascinating story that tells us who and why they killed the Christ. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus has just been baptized in the Spirit, tempted by the devil, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim, proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That meant in that culture that he was taking the position of the rabbi and he was about to preach a sermon expositing the text he, he just read. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's really incredible. Because this section of scripture, the last half of Isaiah, is arguably the most volatile, apocalyptic, messianic chunk of scripture in all the Old Testament. And Jesus said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of Yahweh is on me. That's God. I am anointed. Anointed one literally means Christ. To announce gospel to the poor and liberty, aphiomi in Greek, to, to the captives. Aphiomi is often translated forgiveness. And you know, forgiveness is just a wonderful concept. Unless, of course, you're, you're a banker, for instance. Bankers don't take kindly to guys walking into the lobby of their bank and announcing to everybody, hey, all the debts, they're forgiven. They, they don't like that. Forgiveness is a wonderful concept unless you think somebody owes you something. Liberty is a wonderful concept unless you're holding somebody captive. Remember the religious folks were upset with Jesus from the start because they'd say stuff like this. Who's he to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. See, religious folks tend to view themselves as God's bankers. And they don't like the idea of God being too generous with his, with his resources. So anyway, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 saying, I'm the Christ, announcing forgiveness to the captives, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He, he's referencing the year of Jubilee. You, you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. It was supposed to happen on the Sabbath of the Sabbaths after seven times seven years. In the 50th year, all debts were to be forgiven. Slaves and captives were to be set free. Real estate was to be returned to the original clan to which it was allotted. It was like free market capitalism for 49 years, and then on the 50th year, they would press the socialism reset button. 
Leviticus 25, 23. That's because the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. The land is mine, says the Lord. Well, Jesus announces Jubilee, the end of the 49th year. And everyone knew it had been 490 years since Daniel had prophesied the coming of the Christ, saying 77s, and he will, quote, put an end to sin. That's Daniel 9.24. That's the, the beginning of the endless jubilee and the messianic age, and everyone knew it, it was time. Well, anyway, I'm just trying to point out that taxes, insurrection, blasphemy, claiming to be the Christ, even indicating that, it, that he's the wrong kind of Christ. It's all right here. He quotes Isaiah 61, 1 through 3a, but stops at 3b. He quotes, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and leaves out, and the day of vengeance. And you see, they were all hoping for vengeance against the Romans. Stupid Romans, Italians. Well, I'm just pointing out right here, right here, at the start, Luke 4, Jesus makes public all the classical reasons for getting himself crucified. And he began to say to them, verse 21, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. <laughs> Do you get that? All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, why, this is Joseph's son. This is, this is, you're the Christ. Well, isn't that wonderful? And to think, you're a hometown boy. <laughs> you're one of us, just like, just like us. Now pay close attention, because this is where Jesus is very different than preachers like me. You see, I think my preaching is a success if all speak well of me, at marvel at the gracious words coming from my mouth. Jesus seems to think, if all speaks well of me and marvel at the gracious words that are coming from my mouth, they're just not getting it. So I, I better spell it out. You know, everybody loves words of grace until you spell them out. Everybody loves Jesus until you spell them out. The name Jesus literally means God is salvation. All spoke well of him and said, why, why, this is Joseph's boy. But he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Lay some of that grace on us. And, and he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Well, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Okay, this is not sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is God in the hand of angry sinners right now. They were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove them out of the town, brought them to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw them down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> what a story. I mean, they all think he's just super. 
until he reminds them of two stories that they already knew. They were right there in their Bibles. The first story is from 1 Kings 17, the, the story of the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. Sidon was the son of Canaan, who was the son of Noah. And you remember that Noah cursed Canaan in Genesis chapter 9. The Canaanites settled in Palestine, including Sodom. Okay, Sidon, but, but also Sodom. Uh, they were the people that Israel were to drive out of the land and in many cases dis devote to destruction by fire. The story is even more offensive now than it was when Jesus told it because we can clearly see that Elijah is a picture of Jesus. Uh, Elijah turns the widow's last supper into a miracle meal that won't run out. When the widow's son dies, the widow blames Elijah for revealing her sin and causing the death of her son, but Elijah stretches himself out on the body of her dead son three times, calling out to the Lord, and the boy is risen from the dead. And the woman confesses that the word of the Lord is truth. And Jesus says, you know, there were many widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah to Sidon. And then in case they still liked his sermon, Jesus makes it even worse. 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman the Syrian. He was the commander of the army of Syria. And Syria was Israel's arch enemy at the time, much like they still are today. In fact, it was through an enslaved Israelite girl that Naaman the Syrian general learned about Elisha. And God told Elisha to heal Naaman the leper. Canaanite widows, Syrian generals, sodomites, and lepers. These were the scapegoats of ancient Israel. You see, Jesus is spelling it out. God is salvation. In two chapters, Luke records Jesus as saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Jesus says the most high is kind to the evil. Do you see what that means? That means that the fire that fell on Sodom was a kindness. That means that Canaanites sacrificed to God in holy fire was a kindness to those Canaanites. And that means that even when God gave victory to Syria at the hands of Naaman over Israel, 2 Kings 5.1, it was a kindness to Israel. Will you chew on that a while, chosen people of God? And I think you'll find yourself getting kind of angry, ticked off. You'll find yourself wanting to reject the word of God, maybe even Throw him off a cliff. Why did they try to throw Jesus off the cliff? Well, because God is kind to the wrong people. Because it appears that God cannot be trusted with vengeance. Well, because God sets captives free, but the wrong captives. God cancels debts, but like all debts, because God is salvation, not some of the time, but all of the time, because God is Jesus. 
You see, I, I don't think that folks were offended at the idea that Jesus might claim to be God. I think they were offended at the idea that God just might claim to be Jesus. That he might say, this is my beloved son. This is what it's all about. This is what the futility and the fall and the suffering and the wrath and the redemption is all about. That you might see this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That you might see my heart. Understand, because if you've seen him, you've seen me. You thought you knew who I am, but this is who I am. Jesus means God is salvation. That's the meaning, the logos. That's the meaning of, of all things. Well, anyway, that's why they try to push Jesus over the edge. And it's a bit personal for me because seven years ago this month, I was standing on that edge, or at least what some people think was actually that edge. We were in Israel, in Nazareth, on that very spot, and I was teaching from Luke 4 to a group from church, in fact, some, some, of, some of you even, it's a long story, but we were on that trip because I had preached that God loves Syrians and Canaanites and Arabs just as much as he loves Jews. And it caused a ruckus. And some folks said, well, can we go over there and check it out? At the same time, I was also under investigation by my presbytery for suggesting that Jesus died for all and therefore just might redeem all. It was actually studying Romans 11 about God's plan for Israel and God's plan for all humanity that had led me to that precipice. Theologian Andrew Dukes wrote this. The doctrine of the restitution of all things is to the church what the call of the Gentiles was to Israel. Well, anyway, I, I was standing on that edge preaching this text and I thought to myself, hey, I think I'm beginning to understand why they wanted to kill Jesus. Why? For liberating captives and forgiving debts. So here's a question to ponder. Do you have any debtors? Do you think anyone owes you think anything? Anything. I mean, money, favors, apologies. Do you, have, do you have any debtors? Do you want to make someone pay? I mean, maybe even want to make yourself pay. And do you ever hold people captive to blame, condemnation, guilt, fear? Well, anyway, the question is, who killed Jesus? We discussed why, but, but who? Bill O'Reilly seems to put most of the blame on the Romans. The problem is that Jesus said to Pilate, the one who delivered me, pared idomi, it means hand over, deliver, or betray, the one who delivered me, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And that, that would be Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest. So both Pilate and Caiaphas killed Jesus. I mean, I really don't know what's worse than killing Jesus. I mean, how can you get any, any worse than that? But Caiaphas and his crowd had the, the Maison sin, 
um, if not translated the greater sin, it's, it's translated the elder sin, the older sin. If not greater, at, at least older, like they had taken the fruit from that tree first. And so it was the Romans and definitely the Jewish establishment. The high priest describes the Pharisees. Hey, did you know that scholars say the Pharisees were the group closest to Jesus in custom and theology? It was the Pharisees, the group closest to him, that, that wanted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees and his hometown. You know the people that say, we know you. We own you. We define you. You're one of us. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own home and his own people and his own people received him not. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, 15. The Jews killed Jesus. You know who wrote that? Paul. Who was a Jew. And who still called himself a Jew. And furthermore, clearly taught that all Christians are actually Jews, for they're actually grafted into that incredible tree, even married to Jesus, the very body of Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate Jew, king of the Jews, lion of the tribe of Judah. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Rabbi Paul wrote this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered, parad idomi, handed over, betrayed to you. That on the night Jesus was paradidomi, handed over, betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. So he said, said I, I paradidomi, and, and, and Judas paradidomi. See, Paul is saying he did and does what Judas did. Paul is confessing that he killed the Christ, and that to take communion is to somehow confess that you too killed the Christ. I mean, think about it. You say that he died for your sin. So if it weren't for your sins, he wouldn't have died. He died once and for all, but for all sins for all time. You know, Catholics and Protestants have fought over this for a long time now, but at Mass or communion, certainly at the cross, eternity touches time that is your sin today breaks the body of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago so you see I'm not speaking metaphorically I'm not speaking abstractly as if this is some sort of bizarre legal requirement in the mind of God if Jesus is the truth and if Jesus is literally love incarnate, then anytime you lie, you kill the truth. Who is Jesus? Anytime you betray love, you betray Jesus. Anytime you refuse to forgive, what are you doing? You're renouncing God is salvation. Anytime you sin, you break his body and deliver him up to death. You understand? Humanity has been killing Jesus since the foundation of the world. 
Every child of Adam is a Christ killer. And a Christian is one that confesses, yep, that's true. Now you may say, well, he chose to die for me. Yeah, he chose to die for you. Just like he chose to die for Pilate and for Caiaphas. He said, no one takes my life from me. I choose to lay it down. That's why the crowd didn't kill him that day in Nazareth. Even though we take his life, he must first give his life. Or maybe you say this. You say, well, I didn't knowingly kill the Christ. Well, of course you didn't knowingly kill the Christ. Pilate, Caiaphas, the Roman centurion, even Judas didn't knowingly kill the Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't get it. They don't know, Father. Forgive them. Who's them? Well, at least Pilate, Caiaphas, the Roman centurion, Judas, all the Christ killers, including us. We really do not know what we do. And yet we all do know that we've done something, right? We all do know that something is terribly wrong with this world and even with ourselves. We all feel shame. And we're always looking for someone to blame. We're all a bunch of Christ killers blaming each other for global warming and Obamacare and bad traffic. Bunch of Christ killers looking for a scapegoat. So we blame Pilate, the Romans, the Jews, the Canaanites, the Syrians, the Sodomites, the Afghans, the French, MSNBC, and Bill O'Reilly on Fox News. We find a scapegoat and kill the scapegoat, and Isaiah reveals the Christ is the scapegoat. We're all Christ killers, trapped in a prison of shame, hiding from God, hiding from each other, and most of all, hiding from ourselves, within ourselves. All Christ killers, captive to shame, and we know not what we do. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste been around for a long, long year, stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and shame, made damn sure that Pilate washed his hands, sealed his fate. Pleased to meet you, hope you guess my name. But what's puzzling you is just the nature of my game. Remember that song, Mick Jagger? M remember this line? I shouted out, who killed the Kennedys? When after all, it was you and me. I think for 2,000 years he's been shouting out, who killed Jesus? When after all, it was you and me. He doesn't want us to admit that it was you and me, because when we admit it, when, when, we really, when we really see it and admit it, we're free. I read a story about a boy who got a new slingshot. He was playing around with it one day, and, well, kind of on purpose, kind of not, he, well, he, he shot his grandma's duck, killed the duck, 
In a panic, he buried the duck, hid the duck in, in the woods. His sister Sally saw the whole thing. So when Grandma said, Sally, um, come help me do the dishes, she said, well, uh, Johnny, Grandma, Johnny wants to help. And then she whispered in Johnny's ear, remember the duck. <laughs> Whenever Grandma needed help around the house or some chores taken care of, Sally would smile and say, Grandma, Johnny wants to do it. And then she'd whisper in Johnny's ear, remember the duck. Well, after several days of this, Johnny just cracked, and he finally confessed, Grandma, I killed your duck. She looked at him, and she said, Johnny, I know you did. Gave him a big hug. She said, I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I forgave you right when it happened. I just was wondering how long you would let Sally make you her slave. <laughs> and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 2,000 years ago, where eternity touched time, he said, Father, forgive them. Do you think he did? Do you think the Father forgave? Do you think, do you think you're forgiven? Yes. Are you forgiven? Yes, yes, yes. He is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But if you don't come to the cross, if you won't admit I killed the Christ, how could you ever know that you're forgiven for killing the Christ? Why, you'd be forever imprisoned in shame, captive to the devil. So I suspect the devil constantly accuses you, whispers in your ear, constantly accuses you of killing the Christ, but constantly tells you to hide the evidence. Hide it from God, hide it from others, and most of all, hide it from yourself. And so turn it into neuroses, psychoses, bitterness, rage, addiction. Make excuses for yourself and blame others, but never confess, never confess. I killed the Christ. For then you might just hear the Christ saying, your sins are forgiven you. And now look, behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. So who killed the Christ? I did. <laughs> yeah, me. You did. I think it's fascinating that kings and emperors, men of wealth and fame, scholars, theologians, media pundits, uh, conservative or liberal, they all seem to miss that point. And then the strangest people get that point. Like Roman centurions who just crucified Christ. Prostitutes weeping at his feet. Simon Peter having wept uh, bitter tears all night long. Even Kyle Broflowski gets it. I know this is really weird, but on South Park, Stan Marsh sets out to discover the meaning of Easter, and he discovers an ancient secret that St. Peter, the very first pope, was actually a rabbit. And his descendant was the Easter Bunny. So obviously, Pope Benedict is trying to kill the Easter Bunny. And so Stan turns to Jesus to save the Easter Bunny and asks his Jewish friend Kyle to help. As providence would have it, Kyle and Jesus end up locked in a prison cell, captive to organized religion. Now, the part about the rabbit is not true. Okay? <laughs> but... but 
I think this part is kind of like sort of surprisingly true. Forgave me, Jesus. We'll never get out in time to stop him. Don't you have any superpowers? Not as a mortal, only in death. Wait, that's it. We have no choice, Kyle. You're going to have to kill me. What? Stab me with this. If I die, I can resurrect outside the bars. No way. Do it yourself. Suicide is blasphemy. There's no choice here, Kyle. Dude, you don't understand. I I'm a Jew. I have a few hang-ups about killing Jesus. Just make it quick. Through the neck. I'll arise again immediately. Don't make me do this. My son, there is no time. Do it! Eric Cartman can never know about this. I understand. And Kyle, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Jesus. <laughs> so, Kyle kills Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead and sets the captives free. Now, I know that's a silly cartoon. But until you confess, with my sin, I killed Jesus. You can't be free. Freedom comes when I see I crucified the Christ and I see he chose to die for me and has always forgiven me and will not stop loving me. Freedom comes when I see that my decision to hate God is not stronger than God's decision to love me. Freedom comes at the cross where my ego, my pride, my arrogance are all crucified and I'm released from this prison that is me. So who killed Jesus? Me. I did. And why did I do that? Why did I kill Jesus? Because I did not love love. And actually, I cannot love love until I confess I crucified love and I see that love is freely crucified for the love of me. Until we admit our shame, we'll be captives of shame. But if we drink that cup to the bottom, we'll be free. Until we confess, we cannot receive forgiveness. You can't believe you're forgiven if you deny that you ever sinned. Until we admit to sinning much, we won't love much. Why? Because Jesus said the one forgiven much loves much. Forgiven much, we love much, and love fulfills the entire law. It's the very image of, of God. Until we admit to being Christ killers, we'll keep on killing the Christ. We'll keep on sinning. But once we truly see that sin is killing the Christ, well, I, I think we'll want to stop sinning until. So, so how, how do we see that we kill the Christ? Because you, see, we, we don't, you don't need to leave here today and go out and try to kill the Christ. We don't need to go kill the Christ. We already have killed the Christ. He was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13. They've been killing the Christ in Nazareth since Nazareth was founded. They've been killing the Christ in Israel since the Garden of Eden. But how are they to see it? How are they to know it? In Nazareth, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, saying, he came to liberate the captives. And then verse three, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The next line in Isaiah is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't say that line in Nazareth, but I believe he demonstrated that line, the vengeance of God in Nazareth, by telling the story of the widow of Sidon and the story of Naaman 
the Syrian. Jesus didn't say that line on the cross, vengeance, but I believe he spoke the vengeance of God on the cross when he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, forgive Romans, Jews, Canaanites, Syrians. And God demonstrated his vengeance when the Roman centurion, the most hated figure in all of ancient Israel, dropped to his knees and cried out, first of all, surely this man was the son of God. Amen. You see, the vengeance of God is the burning hot grace of God. That God saves Gentiles is vengeance on the pride and the arrogance of the Jews. And that God saves all humanity, I think that might just be vengeance on the pride and the arrogance of his church. I'd love to exegete these verses in Isaiah, and, and we did much of it four months ago on December 1st. You can go back and listen to that. But I think it's abundantly clear that in Isaiah, the Messianic age and the year of Jubilee begin with the day of vengeance, which is the day of atonement, which is the day Jesus was crucified on the cross outside Jerusalem, crying, Father, forgive them. Ezekiel 16, 53 through 63. Ezekiel prophesies God's vengeance upon Jerusalem. Do you know what it is? You could go read this tonight. God's vengeance upon Jerusalem is that she will have to see the Lord fully restore her sister cities, Sodom and Samaria. That's the Samaritans. She will have to witness the Lord forgiving her debtors. And she'll have to witness the Lord setting her captives free. And it will so burn her pride that she'll never, ever open her mouth again in arrogance. Never, ever, ever again. So, so if you have any debtors, any captives, any, any enemies, I suggest just forgiving them right now. Before the grace of God burns you like fire. For at the cross, God is utterly kind to his enemies and your enemies. And so there you see that you have made yourself God's enemy. And so there he is kind to you and sets you free from your prison of pride. Please understand that this message is not about God enslaving you to guilt. It's about God freeing you from hell. The prison of your own pride. I think this is my favorite scene from the Passion of the Christ. This is the day of vengeance. Revelation 21.5, the day of vengeance is the day that the slaughtered lamb on the throne says, look, you have to look, behold, look, I make all things new, including your enemies. And by the way, 
you are your own worst enemy. <laughs> so happy Easter. And so I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That on the night Jesus was delivered, betrayed, handed over, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. Do you remember what's poured out in those bowls of wrath in the book of Revelations? Revelation? <laughs> this. Blood. That's fire. That's wine. The grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe the gospel and live. Dark cup is wine, light cup is juice. We invite you to come forward, take off a, take off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and worship. So listen up, Jerusalem, bride of Christ. You are literally forgiven the life of God. Do you understand? That's how you are constructed in his image. You are literally forgiven the life of God. The lie of the enemy is that you could have got this any other way. And because you believe you did get it some other way, that, that you earned it or you deserved it, well, you see, that's why we bite and devour each other. That's why we blame ourselves and blame others, and that's why we sin. You know, I, I love the fact that parents bring little kids to the communion table, and we don't put some kind of block on communion table. Paul warns about taking communion in, in the wrong way. But it's not because he's like worried about protecting Jesus from you. You already killed him, okay? I mean, that's the, the mystery of it, that, that he knows what sin you're going to commit tomorrow, and he already died for it a couple thousand years ago. And, and little kids, I mean, Jesus said the kingdom is made of them, so it's not like, it's not like you need to protect him from, from them. But why did Paul say that? Because, you see, I think he's tech protecting, protecting you from Jesus. In other words, this will burn the crap out of you. It's the grace of God. And wherever you're ungracious, this is judgment upon that place. And so Paul said some of you are literally sick because, because you drank this, and, and, and you're, not, you're not surrendering to it. And so I, I'm just saying, uh, let's set our captives free, Okay. And this is a lot harder than it sounds. Forgiveness is just a lot harder than it sounds. And some of you are going, but you don't understand. My body was broken. Well, tell Jesus. Oh, and he'll tell you, by the way, you're my body. And I have sent you into this world to announce good news. Liberty to the captives. Forgiveness to those who are in bondage. The acceptable year 
of the Lord's favor. And don't worry. He, he will make you new. He's just asking you to help him. And that's not a curse. That's a blessing. So right now, just close your eyes and ask yourself, who am I holding captive? Who do I think owes me something? You know, David said, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. You see, they, they really didn't, I mean, if they sinned against you, it's one sinner against another, but they really were sinning against, they owe God something, and he forgave them. So, so can you forgive them? It doesn't mean that what they did was okay. In fact, it means just the opposite, that it was, that it was absolutely not okay, but, but you're not going to make them pay. If you forgive them, it, it doesn't mean that you won't speak hard words to them. In fact, you may, may, may speak a lot more hard words to them, but not because they owe you something, but because you owe them something. You owe them love. That's what Paul says. So right now, think of those people. In fact, maybe you can kind of even picture them in a, in a prison cell. I mean, I, I got a list. Now walk up to the door with Jesus and set them free. Say, in the name of Jesus, just go ahead and say that right after me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my enemies. Good news, captives. You're free. And now I'm talking to you. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.